we're glad that you guys are with us. Why don't you welcome up Scott as he comes up? Oh, thank you very much. Um, Salvation Army training. If you remember a while back, I announced um, the idea of us going into Salvation Army to help those that are seeking uh, help from their drug addiction and their alcohol addiction. And so we have an opportunity to partner with them. And we're just going to take you through a little training. We'd love to have you be a part of that. Um, I'm Scott, grateful believer in Jesus Christ. I'm in recovery from sex addiction and compulsive overeating. Hey, I'm glad you guys are here today. Are you guys glad? Yeah, because if you weren't here, where would you be? Probably out using, I know. I know, it's the best place you can be on a Tuesday night. Very grateful to be here. Um, Tonight we're talking about seven reasons we get stuck. You ever get stuck somewhere? I don't like small places. I hate it. I had an MRI a couple years ago for my low back, and I remember being in that machine, and uh, it was the big boy machine, but I was in the machine, and there was like no room. And it was like, that's exactly the sound it ever makes. So if you ever want to get, know what it sounds like to be, have an MRI, that's what it sounds like for 45 minutes. It's really awesome. It's really relaxing and soothing, and you go to sleep right away. It's really, really cool. It's crazy. Um, but I remember watching this TV show. You ever see the TV show Monk? Yeah. Love that show. And I, uh, I actually now fall asleep to it. I just put it on and I fall asleep to it at night. But as I was laying in bed the other night and I was listening, there's this episode where they're driving in this car and the car gets stuck. And Monk's like, we'll, we'll, we'll put it in reverse. Well, it's stuck, Monk. We'll, we'll put it in drive. It's stuck. Put it in reverse. It's stuck. Put it in drive. Put it in reverse. And that's what we do in our recovery. We get to a point where we're stuck and we try to push forward, but we can't. And we try to back out and we can't. And if we don't do anything, guess what's going to happen? We're going to be right back to rock bottom, if not worse. Some of us have taken that journey. Some of us have done that where we hit a spot and we're stuck and we don't know what else to do. So we return to our old ways and it doesn't take long before we're back doing what we were doing, the amount we were doing, the length, the, I mean, everything just happens, and then we just introduce some new stuff too. And we just keep digging ourselves deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. But tonight, we're gonna talk about how you get unstuck. We're gonna talk about maybe seven areas that you could take a look at to look to see if you're stuck. Because um, I hear comments all the time. Why'd you stop coming to CR? Well, it just wasn't working for me anymore. I don't know, just, you know, uh, just kind of, it was weird. Uh, just different comments like that. Just, you know, I'd gone through the step study, but I'm not sure. Well, we're gonna take a look at that. So first one is this. First area is this. You have not completely worked the previous principles. If you're stuck in your, prog- in your process of recovery, you're there, it may be that you didn't work the previous step. You're trying to work step nine without ever doing step eight or step four. That's a problem. If you've never done a step four, chances are you can't do a step nine because you don't even know who you owe amends to. That's just reality, right? And part of the process that we talk about when we get to step nine is really you have to have forgiven somebody else 
before you can ever go make amends. That's part of how we start to release some of the hurt and pains from our life. But if you've never done that, how can you expect to be done with something without ever doing the work? You can't. You can't do it. I have a coach football and wrestling, and it's interesting the mentality of young athletes today and age. They walk onto the court, or they walk onto the field, or they walk onto the wrestling mat, and they go, I should win because I showed up. I mean, don't you know who I am? I mean, I know I haven't been to practice, but I'm at the mat, so uh, I should win, right? And then they go out there, and next thing you know, they're doing it all wrong, and they're counting lights. That means their back's on the mat, and they're looking up at the the lights, and they got pinned. Um, Just for those of you, that's, they haven't done the work. You got to do the work. You got to grind it out. But if you don't do the work, how do you expect to find any success? You can't. My son has a shirt. I love this shirt. He says he earns and wins his medals at practice. He just picks them up at tournaments. Ha! Love it! I love it! What a great idea that we actually do the work, and then when we get to a situation when we need it, we can actually be successful. Why? Because we've done the work. But if we haven't done the work, how can we expect to do that? Sometimes maybe we just cruise through a step study. We got in it. We just, I mean, I showed up. I didn't write anything down in a journal. They asked the question. I answered it. You know, I kind of sat and hid my journal so that they could still think I maybe wrote something. Right? I've seen those people. Maybe they're still in denial. Maybe they just went through it too quickly. I went through a step study. I mean, it was by myself, but I went through a step study. I got the books off of Amazon and I went through it. I'm good, right? No, you're not. You may have shortcutted something. My house has been shortcutted. I remember digging into a wall because we had some electrical problems and I had my buddy Lyndon over and we were helping and we start to look at this outlet and we start pulling these wires out of the wall. They were lamp wires. They weren't, that's not supposed to be in a wall. They were exposed wires. There was going to be a fire. That's not a good thing. My house fan, my whole house fan, I remember one night after Celebrate Recovery, I remember going home. My wife was tired. I think she was going to bed. The kids were in bed. This was a long time ago. And I, back when they actually used to go to bed at a bedtime and you actually had peace and quiet at night, it was awesome. Um, and I remember, and it was a little click thing, so I clicked the whole house fan, and I was like, oh, it's so hot in here. The wind's blowing through the house. I'm like, oh, this is awesome. I sit down on the couch to watch an episode of TV, whatever it was, just to relax for a minute. And then all of a sudden, it just goes, power goes out. And I go, oh, what happened? <laughs> and I go down the hallway, and I look up, and one of the vents was stuck up, and there's something glowing in my attic. So I ran out to the garage, I get the ladder, I put the ladder up, I climb up there into my attic, and there's something on fire. Put it, pat it out. It's because it was done wrong. Something was shortcutted, and therefore I had a fire in my attic, but I stopped it so it didn't burn down. I should be a fireman. Um, But I'm pretty sure if your reaction is, that probably you should not be a fireman. I'm just going to guess. But um, it was for me. It was for me. So the idea is that you can't shortcut things. You have to work the steps and you have to completely do the work. 
that's important in our life. Galatians chapter 5, verse 25 says this. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. That we are living by the Spirit, he's guiding us, and we're staying in stride with him, no matter how fast or slow that may take us. For some of us, he may speed it up. Others, it is a really slow process. Believe me, I've seen it in my own life, and I see it in your life. I had a sponsee that was uh, going, when is that miracle going to happen? Well, when you actually work the steps, and when he finally worked the steps, guess what? Miracles started to happen in his life. It was crazy good. Number two, you have not completely surrendered your life and your will to the Lord. You're still holding on. There's something going on. Some of you maybe haven't surrendered your life to God. Some of you haven't surrendered to your higher power, Jesus Christ. Some of you are like, well, I can do everything but that. I mean, who really needs step two and three? I mean, we got step one, denial, and then I can just jump right to the inventory, right? No, the reality is we got ourselves in this mess. We can't do this alone. We have to surrender to our higher power. What does surrender mean? That means completely let go, completely not fight it. When it's a war and you surrender, the white flag goes up, the guns go down. Have you completely surrendered your life to Jesus Christ? Have you stopped fighting him? And maybe you have, but here's the follow-up question. Have you surrendered your will to Jesus Christ? So not only your life, but your day-to-day living, your day-to-day going out and saying, it's not my will, but your will be done, God. Have you done that? I struggle with that, I'll be honest. Because I'm human. I like the idea of having power. I like that idea. Have you surrendered the power in your life to Jesus Christ? I mean, the areas of your life that you feel you get the pseudo power in it. That could be in relationships. That could be in a job, your authority. It could be in a title that you get. It can be whatever area that you get power in. Sometimes it's, dude, I just bench pressed 500 pounds. Yeah, somebody did it. Yeah, and uh, that feels powerful. Boom, have you surrendered that? Have you let God be the one that sustains you and you find purpose in? Or do you have to have power over it? What about control? What are the things in your life you're trying to still control and you haven't surrendered that over to God? How about this? Who are the people in your life you're still trying to control that you haven't surrendered to Jesus Christ? Your spouse, your kids, your parents, your coworkers, your boss. That one's probably the toughest for me. Surrendering control of other people too. I have this idea that I expect other people to behave how I would want them to behave. (laughs) That is awesome. No, it doesn't work that way. And I find complete frustration everywhere I turn when I do that. What about your possessions? Have you surrendered your possessions to God? I mean, some of you are on this journey and you're new on this journey, but you still got your stash because you never know when you might have to return to it. I'm just going to keep this later. This is just for safekeeping, just later, just in case. I mean, I wouldn't want to go through withdrawal, so this will help me with that, right? 
What are the things in your life, your possessions you're still holding on to? I mean, I've always wanted, like very much like Scott Miller, I've always wanted a Porsche. I want mine yellow, 1977 with the whale tail. Awesome. The whale tail is legit and convertible. Yes, and that's what I want. But guess what? I drive a Honda Element. It's a green toaster. You literally can put two little bagels in the top and it toasts them. That's how horrible of a car it is. It's awesome. It's a box. Furthest thing away from a Porsche that I could get. It's only four cylinders. It's really slow. God knows. God knows. But what are the possessions you're holding on to? Are you trying to climb that, ra- that, that ladder to have the best things, to possess those things, or have you released that? And are you content with where God has you and what you have? Proverbs chapter three, verses four through six. If you want favor with both God and man and a reputation for good judgment and common sense, then trust the Lord completely. Don't ever trust yourself. That's the word of God. Don't ever trust yourself. Those of you that think that you've got it all under, you got it all under control, let me just read that one more time. Don't ever trust yourself. In everything you do, put God first and he will direct you and crown your efforts with, with success. I got myself in these rooms. Why would I ever trust myself? Later we're gonna talk about building that accountability partner around us but, um, and sponsor, but... Let me ask you these questions. What part of your life are you still holding on to? And what don't you trust God with yet? What in your life do you not trust God with? For me, I have a hard time trusting God with my comfort. Sometimes I don't think God's gonna comfort me how I want to be comforted. And so therefore I turn to food, predominantly now. Box of Cheez-Its will definitely comfort me more than God would. A pizza would definitely come for me more than God would. I mean, you see how silly that sounds? And yet, that's what I turn to. Three, man, we gotta get moving. We got a lot of these on going. Three, you have, accepted, you have not accepted Jesus' work on the cross for your forgiveness. Some of you are still holding on and you haven't forgiven yourself. You haven't accepted the fact that Jesus died on the cross for your sin and that you can be saved and that you can be forgiven. Now, you would say, no, I do believe that, but you act like you don't. Well, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says this. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He will cleanse us. He will, free, he will forgive us. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 says this. It says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. I know for those of you that are uh, maybe new to church or new to Christianity or have never even walked into church, this may be your first time, and all of a sudden we're reading verses about blood. Freaky! I know, it's weird. But the reality is, is when Jesus died on the cross, he shed his blood for us. And that's what we're talking about. And it's through that blood, the fact that he, he... Bled is how we get forgiveness. And some of us still have a hard time understanding and accepting that and grasping that concept. 
Isaiah chapter one, verse 18 says this. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. That your sin, no matter what you've done, the heinousness of your sin, and I've heard some fourth steps in this room, there's a lot of sin and it's gnarly. It's been blotted out and made white as snow. It's been made like wool. God has forgiven you. And some of us, we have a hard time accepting that and holding on to that. And I challenge you, if that's something you're struggling with tonight, that you talk to somebody about that. You find a way to receive that forgiveness that's been offered you freely. And don't hold on to it anymore. Some of you, it's the fourth area, which is you have not forgiven others who have harmed you. It's not so much that you don't forgive yourself. It's the fact you can't forgive that other person that did that thing to you. You know, the molest, the rape, the cheated on you. I'm gonna hold this grudge till the day I die. I get it. There's people that have hurt me deep. I haven't had those things happen to me, but I definitely love holding on to a resentment. And I remember when I first moved into town, my sister-in-law lived over here off of Rumble, and there was a street that I would avoid because it was the same last name as the previous church I was at, the senior pastor. And it caused great resentment in my life. And so I would avoid that street. I would go all the way around it just to avoid it. I know there was a shorter way to my sister-in-law's house, but I wasn't gonna drive on that street. Because my resentment, that is silly. But God had to do work on me and I had to finally forgive. Had to write an amends letter, had to forgive him, had to go through that process. And now I can drive on that street. She moved so I don't have to go by it, but still. Um, <laughs> God help me out with that one. Um, the fifth one is this. You are afraid of making the necessary changes. I mean, you don't want to inconvenience yourself. I mean, you've lived this way how long? Why would you want to inconvenience yourself? And so you don't want to make those changes. That's tough. Some of that is that you might just be paralyzed by fear, the fear of failure. What if I make these changes and I still can't find success? What if I... Stop eating this type of food and yet I still don't find freedom for my compulsive overeating. I've changed my diet, I've changed what I've eaten and guess what, I still look the same. What? I mean, I like those TV shows, I like those types of movies. Why do I have to stop it? I know it's got nudity in it and things in it that, I, that aren't beneficial to me. Why do I have to stop that? Well, maybe because you need to purify your mind and that's what's keeping you stuck. You may fear intimacy because of the fear of rejection or of just being hurt again. That the intimacy in your marriage is so shot. There's no closeness. Your roommate's at best. You just live under the same roof. There's no connection there, and the root what's holding you back is the fear of either the rejection from the other person, you don't think you could deal with that hurt and that pain again, or 
the fear of just being hurt again. What if I do this and they hurt me one more time? What if I do this and they go and they cheat on me again? What if I do this and they go look at porn again? What if I clean this up and the greatest fear is that I would never be able to have sex again? What if I stop looking at porn and I go back and, and she doesn't want to have sex with me? Those are real fears that we struggle with. You think I'm making that stuff up, but that's stuff that I've heard come out of people's mouths in these rooms. You may resist change or growth because of the fear of the unknown. You've never lived a different way. I mean, you live this way your whole life. How are you gonna stop? Well, Matthew chapter 21, verse 31 says this. For John came to you in the way of righteousness and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. I mean, John came and the prostitutes and the tax collectors believed him. Basically, that's our group. That's Celebrate Recovery Group. These people believed him and they started to do what? They changed their minds, but you aren't changing your mind. Are you willing to change your minds and believe God and follow after him? Or are you still resisting that growth of what needs to happen in your life? I got two more. Number six is this. You are not willing to own your responsibility. This is a touchy one. Some of us have had some heinous stuff happen to us and yet we still love to stay the victim. We still love to stay stuck. We still love the fact that uh, we can play that card. Well, they did this to me, this heinous thing to me. And I get it, and they never should have done that. But if you stay as the victim, you're not gonna get better. And we have to start to take responsibility for our actions. It doesn't okay what they did. It does not allow what they did to, to be okay in your life. But what it does it allows you to stop and start to change and respond in a different way. You no longer have to respond like a victim. We have to start taking responsibility for our actions. In the Cartman Triangle, which is an unhealthy relationship triangle, where basically it's three different points on how people interact and respond, and there's gonna be somebody who is the perpetrator, there's somebody that's the victim, and there's somebody that's the enabler. And it's unhealthy, and you're at one of those points in an unhealthy relationship, right? Perpetrator basically is the addict. The victim is the person that obviously they're hurting. The enabler is the one that is enabling everybody's behavior. Well, the only way to get off that unhealthy triangle is to take responsibility for your own actions. And you have to get to that point where we write down that fourth step we write down all the things that have happened to us and all the hurt and pain that we received. We have to go to that point of being a victim so that we can start to take responsibility for our actions. Not that we stay there and stay stuck, but we start to take responsibility for our actions and start to deal with it because if we don't, it's gonna continue to eat us alive. We're still, some of us are still looking for that softer, easier, gentler way. We don't want to do that hard work. 
I mean, we're not going to admit anything if we don't have to, right? Because that's how we were raised. That's how I was raised. Deny, 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 deny until you can't deny anymore. <laughs> exactly. Growing up uh, down the street, I was known as the not me kid. Who did this? Not me. That's exactly what I would say every time. I was the not me kid. And uh, that's how I was raised. But at some point in my life, I had to start taking responsibility for my actions. Scott, did you do this? My first response is always no. I love to be jello, trying to nail it to a tree. Just be evasive and be like, I don't know what you're talking about. Being like the Matrix, that's me. Oh, there's a new Matrix movie coming out. Awesome. But um, sorry, side note. Um, ADD. Uh, squirrel. Uh, that's what happens. Um, but here's the thing is there was a time in my recovery when my wife would start to ask me a question and I knew I'd, I'd have to finally give up and I'd have to say, no, that's right. I did that. And I'd take responsibility for my actions. I'd love to tell you it was maybe the first time she asked me or the second time. Sometimes it was the third or fourth. But eventually it got shorter and shorter and shorter until finally when she asked me, I'm able to say yes. Or if it's a difficult situation, I'm able to answer properly. Properly. Well, Matthew chapter 7 verse 5 says this. It says, you hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. It's the middle of a parable where Jesus is talking about the fact that sometimes in our lives, we're so set on the other person what they did wrong to us that we forget that we've got a big old log sticking out of our eye. There used to be a guy that would come and play guitar here, um, something Aldridge, and he would sing this song, and it was called Log Eye. You'd be like, Log Eye, Log Eye. It was great. And um, wow. I know. <laughs> I know, right? And, uh, but it always reminded me that it doesn't matter what other people have done, no matter how bad they've hurt me and caused pain in my life, I still got a log sticking out of my eye. And when I look at my fourth step and I look at all the heinous things I've done, I've done a lot more than they've ever done to me. It allows me to have grace. It allows me to find freedom. It allows me to start to take responsibility for my actions so I can start to mature again and find healing in my recovery. The seventh and last one is this. You have not developed an effective support team. One of the reasons you're stuck, one of the reasons you got that tire in that hole and it's just spinning and digging deeper is because you don't have a support structure around you. You don't have a sponsor. You don't have somebody that you call regularly that helps you walk through the 12 steps. You don't have that person that you would surrender to their wisdom. Instead, you still think in your mind, you got all the answers. Let me go back to this verse I just read a little bit ago that said, don't ever trust yourself. But we need that sponsor. We haven't found it yet. Well, Scott, can you help me find a sponsor? Here's my answer, no. Part of recovery is you gotta find your sponsor. Part of the work is you gotta do that. That's like me going on the mat, rolling a guy over and putting another kid on top and going, Penn, you did it, good job. No, you gotta do the work. You gotta go to group. You gotta go to group. You gotta listen to what people are sharing in group. 
Find the people that are sharing experience, strength, and hope. And that's the person you start to go, that could be him. And I know, I know it sounds easy, but it's difficult. And you got to put yourself out there because you may be rejected. You may ask somebody, hey, will you be my sponsor? And they say, no, I get it. I understand. It's difficult, but you got to do the work. You got to do the work. You got to find that person that you could surrender to them and trust them to walk you through these 12 steps in their biblical principles. You got to make that call. You got to do it because you need it. Otherwise, your wheels are still spinning. I have a buddy that has a saying, and I totally forget the saying or I'd repeat it, but um, it's about a guy who sponsors himself. He's going to tell me afterwards. I already know it, but um, that's great. But, um, and we need, a, we need our accountability groups. We need the men and women that are around us that we can call and we can meet with and we can pray with and we can talk with, that we can hang out with, that we can start to do things right again. Otherwise, we're gonna get stuck. I had my meeting yesterday morning with my guy. I got a meeting tomorrow with two of my other guys. I got my, my accountability group surrounding me. Monday, because it's the start of my week. Wednesday, because it's after Tuesday, and Tuesdays are usually staff meeting days, and those are the toughest days for me. So Wednesdays are the days that I'm like, I gotta breathe. And I can go, and I can meet with my accountability partners, and they can walk me through whatever it is that I'm going through. And we need those in our life. And if you don't have those, that in your life, I challenge you to do it. I challenge you to go to group. I challenge you to talk to people. I challenge you to buy somebody dessert tonight and let them and listen to them so that they potentially could be a sponsor for you. Let me read this verse, Ecclesiastes chapter four, verses nine through 12. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up this fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie down to lay together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. The idea is that we would have that support structure around us. I hear the phrase, and I cringe every time I hear it, but I, I get the point of it. It's brocovery. Guys who found brotherhood in recovery. I know the name just is, wow. It's all right. I, try, I keep trying to think of a new name for him, but I can't think of a new name. Um, so I just have to surrender to it. Um, that's tough for me. But um, the, the fact we would have brothers or sisters that would come alongside us, talk to us, hang out with us, do recovery with us. I mean, do you have people in recovery that you're calling daily? Do you have people in recovery that you're texting daily? I hope so. If you don't, do it. Even if it's just to say hi. Let's stand and close with a serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, taking as Jesus did, 
this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it. Trusting that you make all things right if I surrender to your will so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. Amen.